I invite you to find a Bible uh, in your pew racks or maybe one that uh, you brought with you, one that is on a uh, Bible app on your device, and find Galatians chapter 5. And let us turn there together. I also invite you to listen very closely to today's scripture lesson. Listen to it in light of the world's chaos, in light of personal chaos. Listen to it as if you've not heard it before so that it may be a balm for our souls. From Galatians chapter 5, listen for the word of the Lord. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use that freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, I am warning you, as I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are indeed very blessed here at First United Methodist Church. We have so many talented people willing to use her or his gifts whenever asked and however needed. And sometimes on very short notice, uh, people pivot and jump in. And that has been the case all morning as we have been thinking about those who were sick from COVID and allowing them to reset and to refocus. We're in the middle of a pastoral transition. Jillian has moved to Fort Walton. Uh, Reverend Audrey Rogers will be coming on in a couple of weeks. Uh, Lucas is receiving much needed uh, vacation time. And with so many other variables uh, preceding our arrival here today, I, I, can't, uh, I can't be dishonest and say, I thought, are we ever going to get to Sunday and be able to worship together? So many things. So many things. I give thanks to God for our staff. I, I tell you, it, it doesn't come much finer than the Holy Trinity of Glenda, Renee, and Adrian, right? I mean, they're a pretty special crowd over here. They do a tremendous job jumping in. It reminds me, too, that the word liturgy, liturgia, liturgy means the work of the people, that working together is what we do. It is the work of the Lord. Interestingly, this New Testament lection 
uh, from Galatians is all about the fruit of the Spirit. And we've had some fruit tested this week, have we not? Patience, kindness, self-control. Is that your favorite one now, the favorite movement for self-control? Did y'all notice that from our kids? Patience. I see some of you already doing that. Patience and then self-control. They love doing those two. Yeah, kindness. Our Summit kids, they learned about the fruit of the Spirit, as you heard earlier. They shared that with our uh, Sunday school assembly. And it reminded me of one of the children who was asked to, you know, present Bible and recite the fruits of the Spirit. And the child said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and my remote control. Isn't that great? <laughs> Eight out of nine really isn't all that bad. How, how many can you name, right? How many are a part of our lives? our coming and our going, our, our repetitions. We need to know the fruit of the Spirit if we are to be expressions of the fruit of the Spirit. Recently, we've journeyed through a sermon series on the 23rd Psalm and on the Lord's Prayer. And taking a little bit of a note and a nudge from our children who just finished a series on the fruit of the Spirit, um, we may do that in the coming months. We may go back and look at all of the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason being is like the Pentecostal preacher who said, uh, we need to focus on the roots and the fruits. That's our starting place today. Working one's self into a frenzy about being a model Christian for the world to see, that's exhausting. Like if we don't see love and joy and peace and patience and these things all the time at any given moment in ourselves and others don't see them, then we say, oh, well, I've just let God down and I've let my community down and we feel, we feel so disappointed. But the starting place, if we want to see the fruit of the Spirit, is to work on the root system. And so I'd encourage you to practice that through prayer and by being together in worship and by finding ways to sacrifice your time to serve someone else, each time we do that, our root system goes deeper. And when our root system goes deeper and the Holy Spirit waters us, we begin to bear fruit. And it shows God's work in our lives. So if you want to bear the fruit of the Spirit, begin by inspecting the root system. That's our starting place. That, that process is a lot more than just a checklist, right? Uh, someone said it like this. I found it quite interesting. If you can live without caffeine, if you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy uh, to give you any time, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never uh, correct him or her, if you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without alcohol, if you can sleep without the assistance of drugs, if you can honestly say that deep within your heart you have no prejudice against creed, color, religion, or politics, then you have almost reached the same level of spiritual development as your dog. <laughs> Unconditional love, right? causes us to check boxes? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if, how much truth is in all of that. But I do know that patience and kindness and self-control matter, and those are only born in the life of the believer and through the life of the community when we do some root work and some cultivation 
and allow the Holy Spirit to fertilize and water our lives. And so I've been thinking about the fruit of the Spirit this week in light of another, another week of tense news headlines. Rulings about guns, rulings about abortion. And it's caused me to pause and say amid all of the polarities and all of the tension and all of the chaos, how are, how are our roots and what is the fruit that we need to bear in these moments when the landscape is so tense? And then I thought about 2,000 years ago that Paul was forced to do an intervention for similar reasons. There was a church crisis. There were new Christians, these Gentiles, and there were Jewish converts to the faith as well. But there was a marked difference when one of the councils met and said, you know, we're going to widen the scope of of the power and presence of resurrection and what the Pentecostal movement is all about, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, to now include the Gentiles. The Gentiles heard the good news proclaimed. They, they had a religious experience and they turned just as they were told to do. Repent, turn, go a different, way, different direction. And they had this newfound life, but they didn't have a root system. They were brand new. Versus the Jewish converts with thousands of years of a root system. They had covenants and prophets, and they had all of the scintillating stories of Abraham and Noah and Rebecca and Rachel and David and the prophets. And they had a Jewish rabbi carpenter named Jesus too, right? Jesus was Jewish. And so how, do, how does one navigate these new converts who are trying to figure it out and they don't really know all the rules, they don't even think there are rules, versus, versus those with deep roots who are saying, no, these are the rules, this is how it's gonna be, you have to check all the boxes. And here Paul is trying to get the mission of the church off the ground and he's stuck between these two groups that are fighting. Oh. The Jewish converts were telling the Gentiles, you have to become Jewish before you can become Christian. No, we don't. We were told we just have to have life in the Spirit. We can do whatever we need to do. No, you have to have boundaries. No, we don't. We live by grace. We live freely. Paul said to both of those, stop. Stop the fighting. Keep, keep your focus on the mission and the message of Jesus Christ. And so this letter, a few chapters prior to what I just read, it, it begins differently than any other, any other of Paul's letters. Last week, uh, for Jillian's final sermon with us, she preached from uh, the book of Philippians. And it begins in a beautiful way. I thank my God every time I remember you. And in other cases, Paul says, I hear about your great work and send my best to, to your family. I hear about all the great things. Not right here. In Galatians, which was a, a, a region, Asia Minor, around Turkey, there was a cluster of churches. They were all fighting and fussing. Paul goes straight for the Galatian jugular and says, I am astonished that you are so quickly the desert, deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Jesus Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. In other words, Paul is exasperated by the church. All of the miscommunication, the misinformation, the fighting, the, the clawing, 
the jarring back and forth, Paul is setting a line that the mission and the message of, church, of the church cannot be compromised. It cannot be driven by fear. We have to stay on point with making disciples of Jesus Christ, spreading the great commission, the good news of Jesus Christ, baptizing people into the faith. We cannot allow ourselves to be polarized and come off point. So Paul does something that I think is quite crafty in his writing. He writes about the works, plural, of the flesh and the fruit, singular, of the spirit. In other words, the works of the flesh, the self-indulgences, the things that we are so likely to give ourselves to are going to fragment, they're going to break the church down. Our pride, our anger, our jealousy, our enmities, strife, and then all of the, the carousing and the licentiousness and the fornication notwithstanding. All of those things are going to divide us from ourselves, from our God, and certainly from our community of faith. And there's many works, but the fruit... The singular nature of the fruit indicates that it's indivisible, that it will be known by its signs of unity and cohesiveness, not by what divides us, but the, the reality is, and something I don't want us to miss, is when that fruit in its singular nature, its unifying nature, it must show signs of love and joy and peace, and patience and kindness goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. <laughs> or else, what is it? So the spiritual development of which Paul writes in Galatians 5, it's, it has deep roots. He's trying to help deep roots take hold because it begins with love. There's a reason that the fruit of the Spirit begins with love. Because without love, everything else that follows, so what? What does it matter? But love is neither wanton nor is it restrictive. Love is not that which hoards a thumb over us, although there are boundaries. It doesn't mean we get to get away with, with anything that we want either. How many of you have taken Disciple One? Several of you? This lesson is one of my favorites because it uses two really big words. It talks about uh, libertinism and legalism right? That the law, the law of grace, the spirit of grace, which is all in play here, it, it is neither designed to be legalistic nor libertine. And what do we mean by that? Well, what Paul is saying, no, you don't have to go back and convert to Judaism in order to be Christian. You don't have to get, you know, all 613 laws right in order to be in God's good graces. Christ has come. By the same measure, you don't get to do whatever you want to do in life without any consequences without any accountability. This life is not about you. It's about your family. It's about the community of faith. So there again is this tension. We do not live and use love wantonly nor restrictively. What do we do? The law was never meant to be used to shame or to abuse those who are trying to maintain its, its letter we also don't have this get-out-of-hell-free card to do whatever we want. Those two polarities were damaging then, and they're damaging now. Someone said it this way more succinctly. God prefers the fruits of the Spirit over religious nuts. How about that? <laughs> so what does Paul do? He did what I think Jesus tried to do, and what I think we're called to do as a church, and that is 
find a way to grab hold of both hands and walk forward. Find a way to take those steps forward through conservative rigidity and liberal living. Paul says this line, because for freedom, Christ has set you all free. For freedom, Christ has set, I love that line. It sounds like something that would cause William Wallace to, or Mel Gibson to paint his face blue and, and scream from a, the back of a horse, you know, for freedom, Christ has set you free. But freedom, free from what exactly? What is freedom? In just a few days, we're gonna celebrate our freedoms in this country, freedom of speech, freedom to vote, the freedom of press, the freedom of religion, the, the freedom to assemble and to petition. These are granted in our founding documents. They have been defended for generations by men and women. They are the freedoms of our country. But within those same freedoms are the freedoms to disagree in a civil manner when, when laws are passed or even when court decisions are overturned. So I've watched some of the headlines this week, as you have. At the core of the debate, one might say, is freedom. Freedom to choose. Freedom for the rights of the unborn. I'm not about to get into that conversation from this pulpit. I am reminded of something John Wesley said, that we don't have to think alike, but we need to love alike. And I've been thinking a lot about the responsibility of the church in these difficult times, whether it's politics or economics or denominational strife or within our own family units, or with our friends, or whatever it is that accompanies a large body like this to worship every week and then sends us back out to be agents of change. And I've just been thinking, what is the church's role? Paul gives it to us. You are free. For freedom, you have been set free by Christ. Only don't use that freedom for self-indulgence, right? For self-gratification, to lord over somebody, or to get away with everything. You are free to love by serving another human being. That's the middle way forward. You're free to love by serving another one. All of the law of the Old Testament, the law of the New Testament is summed up in that one line, love your neighbor as yourself. And love is not just a belief. I love my neighbors all the way up Cloverdale, all the way up Galena. I just love them. But how do they know if I'm not willing to serve them? I love all of our community partners, our community neighbors that we partner with every single week at this church. But how do they know if we don't show them? Jesus said it like this, a new commandment that I, I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, he didn't stop there, did he? Because as soon as he issued that commandment, what did he do? He said, I'm going to show you how to do it. And he took off his outer garment, something that he wasn't supposed to do under the letter of the law. But he did, he took off his outer garment and he took a basin of water and a towel and he started washing the nasty, grungy, grimy feet to show how much he loved. Now he says, you have to do likewise. If the world is ever gonna know of the fruit of the Spirit within you, of the love of God that resides within you, of the way that you have been changed and, and resurrected to new life, then you have to serve through love. How are your roots? And how is your fruit? And then that causes us to say, under what yoke are we living? Under what yoke are we serving? For freedom, Christ has set us free. We are free from that which restricts, but we are always free to something else. And that too is service. We're free from the yoke of 
of the old self and the old way to the yoke of the new way of loving our neighbor as ourself. Paul says it, that when freed by Christ, we are to make ourselves a slave to one another, meaning when we experience Christian freedom, it does not mean that we will live an unencumbered life. We're free from the old yoke, but free to the new yoke of service. So to the early church, Paul was saying, take, all, take off that which is weighing you down and restricting you from seeing the people that God loves and put on this new thing so you don't live lavishly and wantonly, but you serve in the name of Christ. You are freed by grace. And you must wear this new yoke so as not to drive off a cliff and wreck your own life. Dr. Border says it this way, we will all be a slave to something. The question is who or what do we want as our master? Joshua would say it several thousand years ago, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The notion that we have this freedom in Christ it doesn't mean that we're free from entanglements or from hindrances or from, even from tension or from speed bumps along this Autobahn-style life that we are living. Uh, that's just not part of the gospel. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean that we're free from entanglements. It means that we probably are going to be entangled with people as a way of trying to find steps forward so that the world sees love. The world sees us loving others as we love ourselves. Freedom is a feature of relationships that are our outgrowth of our relationship with Christ. And I told this to our middle school mission team whom we commissioned here uh, in the early service. I said, I told them this, uh, one cannot truly understand Christian freedom until one has been in service to another human being. Cannot understand what it means to be free in Christ until we've served another human being. Because the entire Bible may be summed up in that one law love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is dropping the hammer on those who are so committed to the old way and so committed to the new way. There's a stalemate, they don't know which direction to go. And Paul basically saying, check your roots, check your fruit, and decide what yoke you're going to wear and who you're going to serve. Are you serving one another in love? So I want us to think about the type yokes that we wear, the masters that we serve every day, whether we know it or not. It's our political alliances, our favorite headline or news channel. It's it's all the, the chatter that's out there on this side or that side, the lines in the sand. We all have our affiliations, the masters that we serve. I've been thinking a lot about the decision in our country this past week, and I realized that some say, well, that's the letter of the law now, and others say, but that doesn't make it moral or right. And then I thought a lot about those who were in between both sides with a very personal and intimate story of pain who are just trying to find somebody to listen to their story. And I just wondered, amid all of that chaos and all that tension, that's it, it, true about the, the Roe v. Wade decision, it's true about guns, it's true about all these different things. And I'm not bringing politics into this any more than Jesus would. But what is the role of the church? I think it's to be present 
And when we say, love your neighbor as yourself, we're saying, get active and listen to someone who is trying to talk and nobody else is listening. Or be silent and listen to everyone else's voice instead of your own. Or maybe it's just as simple as knowing that when we go through a drive-thru, we can pick up an extra Zach snack and drop it off to the man or the woman down there on the corner because they're, they're hungry. Or we can keep some bottles of water in a small cooler and we can we give somebody something to drink. Those are such small acts of service and they're just ways that the church can be present with our community. Those whom we love, those with whom we're crossed up and disagree, on social media, the church can find a way forward and just simply reply, love one another. I love you even if I don't disagree with you or agree with you. Freedom in Christ is the first step in our mission, friends. Freedom in Christ is the very first step in our mission. So what I want us to think about as we head into this week, and there's going to be more chatter, and there's going to be more division, there's going to be where we are. For freedom, Christ has set you free to love your neighbor as yourself. And I love you all. And I pray that we can love our community and our world in a way that reflects the fruit of the Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God that always has been and always will be. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, I pray that we would check our roots, that you would inspect our fruit. We would make a decision as to who we want to serve this day and in the days forward. That our role here is to love God and to love people, to build community, to show the world that the storms will rage and tensions will run high and we might not always agree. We don't always have to give in to these polarities, that we are the church of Jesus Christ and the world needs our witness now more than ever. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, free us for joyful obedience that we might stay on point in mission and in message to serve as we have been served. Almighty God, bless those who are here and send us out as your missionaries. Bless those who are watching by means of television and technology, that they may be missionaries for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those who are on the men, may they heal now with the calm assurance that they are never alone. Bind us together, almighty God, and may glory be yours forever. Amen.